We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40, and it is quite a passage. I'm always keenly aware of my great need when I stand to preach, but I feel it even more today. So would you join me as I pray? Father in heaven, as we consider the portrait from Scripture of you, I pray you would capture our attention. We are distracted with many things walking in today. I am. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in the brief time we have to not just behold our God, but to be captured by the grandeur of our God. These, you are too high and lifted up for me to do justice, Lord. So like every Sunday, I rely on your power from your word by your spirit. Amen. Just over 70 years ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a little book with a great title that applies to all of us this morning. The book is entitled, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. You see, no matter who you are this morning, your idea of God, my idea of God, our collective idea of who God is, is much too small. Part of that is because we're weak creatures, but also because our thoughts of God are often informed by our feelings, our imagination, our friends, our sensibilities, and our limitations. And none of those things are yet sources that are utterly reliable. And so how do we correct a view of God that's too small? You see, it's not just that our view of God is too small. The miniature gods we carry around do real damage. In Phillips' book, he describes 13 different false gods. Worth a read. With his help, I've adapted three of them that some of us might be worshiping here today. One might be the false god of self-projection. This is a god that cares most deeply about the things that you care most deeply about. He never disagrees with you, and you are always right. He is only always in line with your sensibilities, and he's beholden to you. Another god that's too small is a DoorDash god. This is the kind of God that doesn't get in the way, but when you need Him, He'll give you what you need. Just place the order, and it's at your door, or that's what you want. And if it doesn't happen, or happen the way you expect, you can leave a bad review. Another false God is a managing partner God. This is the God that serves as our personal assistant. He's beholden to us. 
He lives to please us and serve us and do our bidding. He's our errand boy. And when he doesn't do what we want, we don't talk to him for a while. Friends, those are scrawny and pitiful gods. If we serve scrawny and pitiful gods like these, what do we do when the trouble rages? When our hope fades? When fear rises? When enemies ambush? And when depression attacks? Those small gods, they can do nothing. The smaller your God, the bigger your problems. But today we have reason to hope for better things. We're not left having to worship those small, emaciated gods. We have an enduring testimony from the Most High. Our Lord of hosts bids us to, be- to come and behold His grandeur. Today we're going to seek the remedy for all those pitiful, tiny, emaciated gods that we carry around as we look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 31. And as we understand that it's our call to swap those little gods for the God. You and I and all of us, we must swap those little gods for the God. I'm going to take it in chunks, but behold our God. First we see God, the incomparable. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or that man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, He takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing. An emptiness. <coughs> An emptiness. This may be one of the most moving passages, one of some of the most moving prose in all the Bible. But this high and lofty language presents our God as holding all the waters on earth in the hollow of his palm. Think about that. Look at that. I couldn't drown a grasshopper in that. I couldn't maybe even drown a mosquito. Our God holds 
all the waters on earth in the hollow of his palm. He measures the entire universe with a span or two of his hand. We see his might even as we compare his might with the might of nature. Do you see the mighty oceans roar and rage? That's nothing compared to God. Do you see the vast universe scientists cannot measure? That's tiny. Do you see all the dirt and sand on this and every other planet? Minuscule. Do you see the grand mountain ranges that stretch for miles? That's microscopic. Do you see the mighty nations and those empires? They're a drop in the bucket. Our God is far mightier, not just than our small young nation, but of all nations from all over the world. Is our God concerned with the events going on in the United States? Is he worried? Is he flummoxed? Is he shaking his hands, wondering what to do? No. Our nation is like a drop of water. When you take a bottle of water, I don't think I'll be able to drink it all. It's gone. It's gone. It's empty. I throw it away. But no matter how, no matter how, how thoroughly you drink the bottle of water you have sitting at your feet, there's always a little bit left, right? But we would count this empty and a thing to be thrown away. Behold, the United States. To God, a small thing. A thing that can just be cast away. The God who creates and sustains all things and all nations and all empires, to him, they are nothing. He is God the incomparable. If God's on your side, why are you afraid of current events in the, na in the nation today? All nations, he says in verse 17, are as nothing before him. Nothing. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Think of the effort that you have to exert to move a helium balloon that's in your way. Think of the effort you have to exert. You walk past. What do you do? You just merely brush it aside with the side of your hand. You don't have to plan. You don't have to plan your attack. You don't have to exercise. You don't have to brush. You don't have to, to ask for help. You just merely brush it aside. And then you don't even remember it. Why? Because what does a helium balloon do you? It's nothing. It's less than nothing. Compared to our God, all nations from all time are nothing. Less than nothing. He's God the incomparable. We must each swap our little gods 
for this God. Isaiah further exemplifies this by means of comparison. And so he compares God the incomparable with an idol. Verse 18. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He is too impoverished for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Notice what he does. He doesn't criticize the idol saying it's stupid. He just describes the process of making the idol, and we say it's stupid. That's what we're meant to think. How can you compare God to an idol like this? How can you compare God who superintends over all things and holds all things in his hand with an idol that has to be made by human hands? God who creates all is vastly more important in comparison with an idol who can only create sadness and grief. Now, while none of us in this room might create statues to worship, we are apt to worship idols just the same. We shrink our statues down and store them away in our hearts. We carry around idols of money and family, reputation, ease, order, control, education, food, drink. Why worship those things? In comparison to our God, they are nothing. They can provide nothing. They hold nothing. We must swap our little gods for the God. And Isaiah bids us to behold our God. Verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Who is like our God? We need to swap our little gods for this God. He is the pressing reality of our universe. He's the one, the only one, who raises up leaders for his purpose, only to dispose of them in his good time. Those that walk the corridors of power rule for a brief time. They're soon gone, never to be remembered again. But our God, he sits enthroned above all things. Swap your little gods For the God, who is like our God. Verse 25. To whom then 
will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might? And because he is strong in power, not one, not one is missing. It's as if God wants to show the great difference between us and him. And so he takes an example close at hand and points our attention to the night sky. And he says, see those? I did that. He stretches out the starry host like a curtain. Like you or I would open or close a curtain. He painted the sky with stars. Whether you look at the stars with a telescope or not, it doesn't matter. When you see the blinking, twinkling host, each one has been called out by name by our God. Right now, scientists estimate that the number of stars in the universe is 70 billion trillion. 70 with 23 zeros after it. And they're going to keep revising this number up, just FYI. Each one called out by God, by name. We don't have enough words in this or any language to name those stars. But yet, he calls them out by name. Behold our God. You need to swap. I need to swap our little gods for this God. He is God the incomparable. There is no one who can stand in his presence and bring anything comparable to who he is and what he can do. He is God the incomparable. He's not a little managing partner God. He's not a DoorDash God. He's not merely a self-projection kind of God. He is God the incomparable. But when we read this, we need to ask the question, is he also God the unconcerned? Is he so high and lifted up that he cannot be bothered with us so low and put down? Is he so mighty that he's unconcerned with we who are so weak? Is he so wise that he doesn't have time for those of us who are so foolish? In his vastness, does he have a moment or two to spare for us in our tininess? If any of us had power that even approximated this, we wouldn't have a thought for those weaker than us. We wouldn't have a care. The exiled people, they were murmuring against God. They thought he overlooked them. They thought he was deaf to their cries, their toil, their pain, their woes. They thought that he was ambivalent. You ever been there? You ever thought God forgot you? 
You hear that story about him calling out all the stars and you can think, well, no wonder you don't hear when I call on you. Isaiah shows us that he's not just God the incomparable, but he's also God the fortifier. He's also God the fortifier. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's the God high and lifted up who holds all things in His hands, promising that if we wait upon Him, He will renew our strength. Have you ever fallen into the trap of thinking that God has forgotten you? I have. I've complained about pain and loss and disappointment. I've wondered aloud if he knew how hard all this was that I was going through. And in my heart, I believe something like this. Here I am trying to help. Here I am trying to serve. Here I am trying to live for you. And you don't seem to care. My problem My God's too small. I see him as my managing partner. He is not my partner. I cannot expect him to do what I expect, when I expect, how I expect. That's a small view of God. It stands to reason that a God as big as Isaiah is presenting to us might have purposes for me and for you, and for all of us, greater than we can understand right now. We must swap our little gods for the God. He shows himself to be not God the unconcerned, but God the fortifier. Notice what he promises. He promises to give power to the faint. He promises to increase strength. He says, even the strongest among us will go weary. Even the young men will fall down. But those who wait, he will renew their strength. He will, it will be as if they mount up with wings like eagles. They'll be able to run and not get tired. They'll be able to walk and not fall down and faint. Do you see what he does? He promises not deliverance, but endurance. He doesn't promise that we will be delivered from hard things. Rather, He promises that He will give us the strength to endure through the most difficult things. He strengthens us so that we might endure, not so that we might escape. I mean, at one level, it's encouraging because life is so hard 
It's just this hard. We need supernatural help. And who doesn't know what it's like to be weary? To fight just to take the next step as life repeatedly kicks you in the teeth. Even the strongest of us grow weary. And those of us who serve small and pitiful gods, we're going to have nothing left to give. They cannot strengthen. But behold our God, He does not tire. He is an everlasting fountain of strength for His people. How do we access this strength? Verse 31, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. This is definitely not let go and let God. This is not a message of just mere surrender. Let go and let God is not biblical. But this is something else. Those who wait upon the Lord are not idle. They're not lazy. They realize that they must hope in something outside of them. They realize they must trust in the Lord. They must recognize that they do not have the power or the potential to be able to renew their own strength. So they wait upon the Lord knowing He is the one that holds them in their hands and their pint-sized little gods can do nothing in the hour of need. Those miniature gods stand helpless when we need them the most. So what are we to do to get strength? Take the supremely active step of waiting on Him. We will all stumble and fall because life is a great unremitting burden. Even at our peak strength, we fall. Even those who have faith to move mountains sometimes can feel like those mountains will fall upon them. Even those armed with a lion-hearted courage can grow fearful from time to time. See, this is evidence that we must look away from our small gods and look instead to God. We need to behold our God and recognize that He is not like us. He does not grow weary, but He has strength to spare. Notice the dramatic strength He gives. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. How? They will mount up with wings like eagles. The strength He gives is transformational change. It's not just that He gives us weary legs so that we can become strong and walk. That's true, He does. But He also grants us power to do the impossible. Mount up with wings like an eagle. See, life in this fallen world is that hard. You are not able to make it on your own. You can't do it. If you rely on the power that you think you have within, you will fall and you will be crushed. If you think otherwise, you're deluded. Ask anyone in here who walks with a limp or has gray hair. So instead of looking to our own internal resources, instead of looking to a false god, what we have is an opportunity to wait upon the Lord and allow Him to renew our strength. The key? Here's the key. It's waiting, not complaining. 
waiting, not complaining. Verse 27 could be rendered, why do you keep saying, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by God? See, what they were doing is they were murmuring amongst themselves. The Lord has no idea. (laughs) He has no idea what it feels like to go through all this. And I thought he was on my side. Why have my kids wandered? Why are my relationships falling apart? Why am I sick? Why is all this happening? Friend, your way is not hidden from the Lord. And He has not disregarded you if you're a Christian. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The one who holds the waters holds you. The one who has marked out the heavens has set all your days. The one who regards the nations as nothing is working in and through you. The one who measures the mountains pours forth upon you immeasurable love. The one who calls out the stars calls you my beloved. You wait upon the Lord and He will strengthen you. We must admit our weakness and cast aside our small gods and trust the true and living God. All this is is trading fatigue for enduring strength. Trading weariness for abiding power. Are you willing to make that trade? If so, look away from yourself, your sensibilities. Look away from, you th- from how you think your life should go. Look away from all the ways you think God should be working in and through you. And look instead to God. The Lord promises good to us, but it never comes about in the way that we think. Ever. The Lord promises to be with us, but there are many times we can't sense His presence. So we wait. We wait and we trust and we look to our God. for strength just to take the next step. Without His strength, you will fall. But He gives us strength not to escape, not so that we can discover the wonderful plan we have for our lives, but so that we can endure with His strength despite all hardship. Verse 31, but they who wait, who trust, who hope, who look, who look away from themselves, who wait for the Lord, shall renew their strength. If you trust in the Lord and wait upon Him, He will strengthen you. If you recognize you cannot go it alone, you can't make it through this life alone, He, and ask for His help, He will strengthen you. How do you know? 
How can I be so confident? Well, we can see it right here in Isaiah chapter 40. And the Bible doesn't lie. But there's also another reason, a deeper reason, a more abiding reason. There was a man who never complained. He never complained that God disregarded him. He waited on the Lord for strength. And if there were any who could have mustered his own strength, he could have. This was a man of sorrows. He endured many threats, yet faithfully served, always, never questioning the Lord. He only ever waited and hoped and looked to and trusted the Lord his God. And yet there was a day, a dark day, a day where he grew faint with the burden of my sin, with your sin. He grew weary and fell exhausted. And like every time before, he turned to the Lord for strength. But this time, he did not mount up with wings like an eagle. He was mounted upon a Roman cross. And when he looked to the Lord for strength, he received scorn. He received wrath. He received punishment. He received rejection. Because he stood in for me and for you. And he fell. Not just exhausted, but dead. No man gave the Lord this counsel. This was a path of justice none could have conceived of. You see, the ultimate reason we can be confident that the Lord will strengthen us in our hour of need is because He did not strengthen the Son in His. Jesus was abandoned by God so that you will never be. The Lord was deaf to the cries to His Son, so that you might always be heard. The pinnacle of God's might is not expressed in the holding of the water in His hand or the calling of the starry host. The pinnacle of God's might was expressed in the weakness of the crucifixion. Our big God, He was so big that He became small. Just a man. Eternity bound up in time. The glorious Son becomes an inglorious man offered up to die. And this man was consumed by death. But he defeated death and rose. And today he is seated above all things. He is seated above all things as our representative. He is the one who gives us power when we are weak. He's much better than a managing partner. He's much better than a managing partner in a myriad of ways, but I'll just mention one. You know what he's doing right now? He's praying for you by name. Calls out the starry host by name, but he doesn't pray for them. He prays for you. And it it makes all the difference. Because he knows where you are weak better than you do. And he's acquainted with weariness. 
And he's helping you now, upholding you now, working in you now as he prays for you. Friends, that's strength. That's strength unlike anything we can muster up. Unlike anything our false gods can provide. Our view of God is too small when we consider him to be a managing partner kind of God or a DoorDash kind of God or a self-projection kind of God. But we consider our God to be who he is. God the Son who has come to open a way so that we don't have to be afraid anymore. So that when troubles rage, we can look to Him. When hope fades, we can ask for strength. When fear rises, we can know He's on our side. When our enemies ambush, we can know that He fights for us. When depression attacks, we can know for sure and for certain he's working in us. Jesus, friend, he will strengthen you. Wait upon him. Wait upon him. You want to behold our God? Behold Him here in Isaiah 40, but also behold the Son. Who works and is working in you and for you right now. The strength that you lack, He provides. The hope that you need, He can give. The trust that you offer, he'll never let you down. Ever. Ever. So let's swap our little gods for that God. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there are a bunch of people in this room who have all kinds of troubles that I can't relate to. Jesus, I'm grateful even more that I'm not informing you of any of them. You know them all. And Lord, I ask that you would, by your mercy, pour forth strength upon everyone in this room. I pray for strength. Lord, we do not have the inner resources. We do not have a secret tap of vitality. We cannot conjure up anything that we that, that can preserve us one moment. Lord, we are utterly reliant upon you. We're grateful that you are big. We're grateful that you are strong. We're grateful that you are more mighty than we can conceive of. But we're also grateful that you're not unconcerned. You came to save us and help us. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to put away those small gods and trust utterly and entirely on you. I pray that you would help us to be a people that doesn't complain, but waits and trusts and hopes and looks to you. Where we have legitimate troubles, and we all do, Lord, I pray that you would help us to give them to you and ask instead of just that they go away, Lord, help us to ask for strength to make it through, to, for strength to take the next step, for help. And Lord, I pray that we would see your supernatural power and strength provided for us so that we are able to persevere and endure when we thought we were dead. Jesus, only you can do this. And I pray that you would help us all, Lord. We're weak, and we, I pray you would strengthen us each so that we might look away from ourselves and instead look to you. And in your mighty name we pray. Amen.